Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hi, welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, sponsored exclusively by Newport One. I'm Andrew Olson, and I'm here with my co-host, Roy Jones. Roy, how's it going today? Very good. I am excited about this interview. I, I have to tell you, I'm going to give away the goods right up front. The person we're talking to has been involved in a program over the last couple of years that has raised over a billion, that's with a B, Andrew, a billion dollars to help nonprofit causes. So we're going to have some fun today. We're going to learn some stuff. That's a whole lot of zeros. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear about it. I'm excited to, uh, to introduce Lisa Wolf today. So Lisa is Vice President of Consulting at Westfall Gold. Uh, she's, she's super passionate about working with nonprofits that fight to improve the lives of others. Uh, Lisa spent, I think, seven years as uh, both SVP of Communications and Vice President of Donor Relations at Cure International. So she's not just a consultant. She's sat in our seats. She sat in your seats and knows what it's like to, to have to struggle to raise money. At Cure, she worked with a number of different uh, departments to help build their, uh, tell their story and raise money uh, for what is a, an international medical ministry with hospitals and programs, I think in like 29 different countries throughout the developing world. She, she's raised millions of dollars herself, and as Roy said, as a, a part of the Westfall Gold team, has successfully raised a billion dollars with a B. That's pretty exciting. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to join you. And yeah. thanks for that great announcement right up front, Roy. It's weird. I gotta steal. I gotta steal the thunder. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited about it. So it's a it's a pleasure to be with you and to have an opportunity to talk about it and talk about some uh, major donor fundraising ideas that uh, and trends that we've been watching. So Lisa, I suspect that there are people right now who are listening who are googling away trying to figure out what is Westfall Gold. Can you give us a quick overview of, of what Westfall is? Sure. We work with nonprofits across the country to help them engage their major donors. And um, so it's, a, it's upgrading the commitment for major donors. Uh, re-engaging lapsed donors, and then helping those people that are general and mid-range donors today, but have capacity to be, to be major donors, it's engaging them. And we do that through a unique three and a half day weekend model that helps an organization tell their complete case for support, builds community with their donors, and, and builds trust. And it, it is, from the first time I saw it as a client to today, it's just been, it, it is a unique strategy that really engages major donors and helps them really see the impact that nonprofit, the nonprofits that they work and give to are, are having. Well, we're excited to have you here. I know Roy has some questions for you. Roy, why don't you jump in? Well, the one thing I was interested in, Lisa, just looking at your background, you serve on the Giving USA Editorial Board, and that's, you know, one document every year I have looked at to kind of track trends and what's going on, and I'd like to hear a little bit about what you think is happening, uh, what's going on in the industry, what's the news, what do you hear? <laughs> what's the news? Well, so... We come off that great announcement of a billion dollars. <laughs> so that will tell you that there's still a lot of money being raised out there, but the numbers are a little shaky. And as we looked at, so as we, we came out of 2018, crossing this 
threshold of going over the $400 billion mark in, um, in 2017, and then we saw an increase still in 2017. Last year was a little different, and again, we're seeing that second, the second quarter numbers this year are... This is, uh, let me interrupt you. This is overall, all giving, overall. not just major gifts. Correct. Yes, this is overall. And so the thing that we're seeing, though, is that the, the general donor giving is lower, retention is lower, and, um, you know, the overall numbers. So all of the numbers are, are looking, I would say, soft. However, you know, you have to dig into those and really take a look individually by category so we are still seeing that you know the major donor giving is pretty strong, mm -hmm. and um, in fact, it's it's helping to you know lift up some of that other weakness in the market that that we so, are seeing today. So major gifts are still climbing. Uh, general giving or regular donor giving is kind of flattening. It is, yeah. Is it flattening or is it down year over year? Well, no, actually, it's down. Uh, yeah. It's down in the se the second quarter of 2019. We're seeing that the giving is is lower, and um, you know, so there's a lot of things that are going into that. Whether that's related to the tax changes, uh, the fluctuation in the market. You know, recently the stock market's been doing great. Um, so we'll be interested to see as if that continues and what happens to the fourth quarter giving. Um, but there is, there's definitely changes that have been in, happening in the marketplace year over year that aren't great signs for overall giving. So Lisa, I don't know if you can see this in the data that you look at through Giving USA, but maybe in your work with Westfall, you see it. As you were talking, it, you know, one of the things that I thought was, I, I suspect that this giving is down largely for donors who give out of current income and cash but the asset giving might look different. Do you, do you have an opinion on that? Well, it, yes, I think it, it does look different. We are seeing uh, more money moving into the donor advised funds, and that's a great way to give gifts, complex asset gifts. That's one of the things that we talk about uh, on every weekend event that we do, is we bring in somebody who has knowledge of how to construct those gifts of complex assets so that the donors know how to, how to go about that and that they can do that. Because surprisingly, I think our, as fundraisers, our assumptions are that people of high net worth have their financial house in order and that they get great advice and they know exactly what to do. And I'll tell you from conversations that I've had and what I have seen is that that's really not always the case. Most donors are still giving cash. You know, 90% of the giving is in cash, and that is just the inverse to how we hold our assets, right? We have less cash and more assets, especially as you climb up, you know, the, uh, the wealth scale. And so what we wanna do is always help those donors understand how they can do it. And I insist that when we bring somebody in that what they are telling donors is if they hear nothing else it's give first then sell so many times um i'll hear a donor talk at one of our events and say gosh i just had this i just sold a business or i had some kind of liquidity event i wish i'd have known 
that I should have constructed this give first and then and then sell it because once you've once you've sold the asset your ability to reduce your capital gains and take advantage of those tax savings is gone so. it's so true you know they don't think about the tax savings or the tax implications their hearts in the right place uh, they just they just want to help the charity you know i had a donor that was, that was literally on the brink of selling a home and then he was going to donate everything he made from the sale of that property anyway we caught him just in time had him go out and get an independent appraisal they donated a 1.6 million dollar property on laguna beach and of course uh, we we discounted it a little bit sold it for about a million four much bigger gift to the organization and he got the full tax benefit of the 1.6 so so you know giving from assets is just is you're right it's just so important it's a difference between a transactional gift and a transformational gift i think you know what i'm hearing here is you have to have a seat at that table as a, as a fundraiser to influence that gift right so this is where I think a lot of organizations, and Lisa, I'd, I'd love your input on this. If there's, you know, if we operate at a arm's length from our donors and we're not really going deep with them relationally, then we can't sit there as that trusted advisor and, and do what Roy did and say, hey, hold up a second. I think I have a way to help you as you help us. What do you think? Yeah, that's really true. And the thing that we have to keep in mind, and I think sometimes what stops fundraisers from introducing another party into it as you know maybe it's um, an organization like fidelity that has the that, that can can um, help them with the donor advised funds is that they get scared that then the donor is going to put their money into a donor advised fund and they're going to give it to other charities mm -hmm. and what we have to come at this we have to come to the table with the donor with open hands and sharing this information, giving them the education that they need, because the likelihood is that they are gonna give to your organization, and this is gonna help them in their giving strategy across the board. So I think it's always important to make sure that we are a source of education. And you know, we know from the Bank of America studies that donors that view themselves as expert donors give more. So when they feel like they're at the novice level, um, their giving is somewhere just under $20,000. When they move up that scale to, to being an expert giver, it goes up to over $60,000, $65,000, I think it is, um, average giving. And so you can see the tremendous impact of education on a donor's giving. Wow. I, I've never heard that statistic before. Uh, yeah. that, that's pretty amazing. And I, I think it makes the case for bringing other experts along in the conversation. It sure does. We make the, the, the mistake in assuming we're the only charity they give to, don't we? We do. We do. And I think that that, that just is um, the wrong attitude. Uh, the more open we are, and, and honestly, and you know this, the, if you have a donor that has a passion for something else and it's just not what your organization is doing the best thing you can do is help them find out about something else that really aligns with their passion because i think that's just we need to be in service to the donor well that's a great point i i think you know what i hear in this is we all talk about being donor centric but until until we put our literal money where our mouth is 
and are faced with the prospect that, okay, this donor might give some of their money elsewhere. You know, we're not really being donor centric until we live it at that level. Don't you think? I do. I do. And I think that that just makes, that makes a lot of sense for all of us. Very interesting. You know, it's, it, 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 the thought propped in my head just about some of the competing foundations during my tenure at Mercy Ships that we received gifts from. You know, World Vision has their own donor advised fund that their supporters park their money and then designate where they want it to go every year. We get checks from World Vision that are donor designated through a donor advised fund. Of course, people have heard of Fidelity and lots of other donor advised funds. Uh, you know, National Christian Foundation. We get checks from 23 different offices of NCF out of Atlanta, near where uh, near near, your, near where your office is at Westfall. But it's just really interesting. You know, I mean, those that have really embraced this concept of of uh, being the donor servant are in a position to. Uh, they help a lot more charities than theirs. <laughs> well, and this, Roy, goes back to a conversation we had not long ago is um, about one of the challenges with the donor advised fund is that we aren't always aware of then who is giving those gifts. If they have not allowed the fund to share their name with the charity, then it's hard to to know who to who to be in touch with for that for that gift. So if we're the ones that are sharing that information and helping educate the donors, giving them the information that they need about a, a donor advised fund and being that um, conduit for them, it's gonna be more likely that we're gonna know about their giving because you have a relationship, right? And they'll tell you that they're, that they're making that gift. One of the first things I do you know, is meet with donor service departments and walk them through how to handle that question of an anonymous gift. And an anonymous gift sounds wonderful to the donor. They love the feeling of that, but in fact, it is very poor stewardship. <laughs> it, um, it doesn't enable the charity to give an impact report. Uh, it doesn't enable the charity to be accountable for the gift that was given to them. And I just think it's a, it really is a mistake by the industry and specifically a lot of donors that request to be uh, anonymous. It is, uh, it really is poor stewardship. Well, and it goes to one of the, the trends in philanthropy right now. It, it speaks directly to that because what we're hearing from donors is they want to know what the impact of their gift is and they want transparency on the part of a nonprofit. And so if we don't know who they are, we can't give them that report and we can't be uh, transparent with them in terms of the uh, the finances of the, of the nonprofit. We can't, we can't build that trust because we can't build a relationship. And so uh, to the extent that, I mean, that's, that's one of the principles of, I think, why our weekends work so well is because we're bringing people in community together with the organization and with each other, and it's building trust and there's transparency in um, you know, what they're learning and, and going deep with an organization and they can see the impact. So seeing that transformation that happens as a result of the work of, of, the, of the nonprofit. And so we have to keep that in mind as we're looking at this landscape today that we've got to be open and making sure that we're serving our donors and telling them the impact that they have because otherwise they're not gonna wanna give again. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting you say that. So this morning I, I read a, a study, I think it's fairly new. It's the Barclays study on barriers to giving. I don't know if you've seen it or not yet. 
They looked at and, and surveyed high net worth individuals both in the in the U.S. and in Europe, and two of the the primary reasons why why they found that that high net worth individuals weren't increasing their giving were lack of perceived control over the gift, and feeling like they they couldn't trust that their money was going to be used the way that they intended it to be, you know, and and so. Obviously, the the way that Westfall Gold structures their events makes a ton of sense to to move the needle on both of those things. But let's talk about, say, an organization that doesn't that isn't ready to bite off an event like that over multiple days, um, or maybe they don't have the the size of the donor file that would make sense or the capacity. What other things should a nonprofit be doing to help advance? that transparency that you're talking about and the ability for high, particularly high net worth donors to feel like they, you know, they have the information they need to make an, an informed decision and to feel like their gift will be used well. It's a good question. And it really, it does go back to the same principles that we use. I think that they transfer over perfectly for caseload management. And, um, you know, those three things are making sure that the donor understands the complete case of the organization. So they understand the intellectual case, the emotional case, and the transformational case. I think a lot of times we as fundraisers get, we kind of have our story that we tell, and we don't really think about it from what does the donor need to hear from us, they may not, and, and it really has changed. It used to be you had to give the donor a lot more on the intellectual side. Today, it's much more emotional. And so, uh, but that doesn't mean you can discount the intellectual case, whether that's the finances, um, board governance, whatever it might be to the, the structure of the organization. So those pieces all have to be a part of it and making sure that we are telling all three pieces of that uh, story is absolutely critical. And that can be done as you're working your caseload, just as you're planning out the, your contacts with the donor, just making sure that they're getting each of those pieces from you. Um, whether that's a, you know, a meeting with the CFO or it's uh, hearing from somebody in the field and having them tell their story uh, of impact. And then looking for ways to bring donors together into community with each other. I think that is a critical piece that we need to, to build that community and let them see that there are other people who care about and have a passion for the work of the organization. You know, no donor wants to feel like they're the only one funding this particular organization and that you're the one they always come to. So bring them together, let them get to know each other, and connect and talk to them about what's happening, but just just let them have fun together. Uh, I think is important. And then that trust piece. We, you know, this this trust issue has been around. You talked about it with this Barclays study. This has been around since early two thousands, leading in you know with the, some of the corporate scandals and larger nonprofit scandals that have happened. And we don't seem to be moving the needle on it. You know, we keep hearing these studies and that, that donors aren't trusting the organizations that they're, that they um, are engaged with and they're not sure how the money's being, being used. And so again, it goes back to that. How are you telling the story? How are you telling them and sharing with them the impact that you're having? How do they, are they understanding uh, your governor, your governance, uh, your governance and your, your financial credibility? What does that look like? 
Are they hearing from outside sources that you are uh, a valued uh, organization and that you're critical to the sector that you're serving? So, you know, I always look at things like, how, how can you get a third party to talk about the organization and connect them with people who are considering giving to you? So, so those three things, the case, community, and trust, looking at your donor interactions and engagement with them at, along the cycle of cultivation and making sure that each of those pieces are in, that we're intentional about bringing those. To me, that, that is just, regardless of doing an event or your day-to-day -day cultivation efforts, those, those pieces have to be there. Those are great insights. Thank you. You used the word, you used the word Lisa, that jumps out with me, and that is in investing. I mean, these donors don't give money away. They make investments, right? They, they do. And I think that's, that's the way they're looking at it because what they want to see is the return. So this isn't their financial return, but it is a return in terms of the transformation that they're making. And, you know, again, I, I go back to that, um, the Bank of America U.S. Trust study, and that's what they tell us. They want to know what impact their dollars are having and so in a sense what's their charitable investment doing do you think they become investors uh, with their first gift or do you think it's after they've upgraded to that five-figure level i that probably ranges you know but i think sometimes it's especially if it's a an ultra high net worth donor mm -hmm. they're testing the waters first let's see how they do with my initial gift interesting so um, even that even that initial small gift it's it's part of this uh, investment mindset yeah i believe i believe it is because you know again they're looking for how how am i being treated how do i do you know am i being thanked do i know what the gift is going for because again if i'm gonna it, i have to be able to trust you with a little before i can trust you with a lot mm. Andrew, we got to get our thank you letters out faster. I know, right? <laughs> got to have somebody sitting there every day pushing yeah. them out the door. You're right. Well, I was just thinking, often I'll hear organizations say, well, you know, we're trying to preserve budget. We're trying to cut some expenses. So we're only going to receipt people who give us gifts of $25 or more, you know, because smaller gifts, it takes a lot of work and there's a high volume, blah, blah, blah. But if I hear you correctly, I mean, if I receive a $15 gift from a high net worth individual because... I sent acquisition mail to that person and that's what I asked them for. So they gave me what I asked for. They're still using that as a litmus test to see, okay, is this organization going to treat me the way I expect to be treated and show me what I expect to see with respect to my charitable return on impact? Or am I never going to get talked to again because I gave a $15 gift? I'll, I'll give you one more. I know a lot of charities that bat for all the right reasons, batch all of their thank yous until they get to a certain number so they can get the, nonprofit uh, standard mail discount mm. by having enough to qualify. And sometimes that means they hold them for a month, wow. sometimes two, sometimes two weeks, sometimes three weeks. But you know, what's the old adage, uh, penny wise and a pound foolish. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thank somebody eight times for a gift they gave you before you ask them for another gift or, huh. you know, something like that. But you know, I have a, a really small organization that I give to, and we're monthly donors to them. And I get a, a personal handwritten note, some not every month, but every other month after our gift goes through uh, with just a, you know, the, the, the thank you, we're so grateful. I love to see your name 
uh, coming across on our donor list. Nobody has ever done that. And mm. I have four organizations that I give monthly gifts to. Mm. So. It's uh, it's so important, and you know, because you never, you know, many organizations aren't screening their donors, so they don't, you know, doing the wealth analytics, they may not immediately know someone's wealth, and I, I would contend that it shouldn't matter. It, you just, you, you never know, right. and every gift is important, and don't make a judgment call on uh, the size of the gift. Just, you know, be thankful. Yeah, treating people well shouldn't be a threshold decision, right? Right. So we've talked a lot about high net worth individuals and their giving, but I feel like we're burying the lead a little bit because when we started talking about trends, you told us that general donor giving is flat to down, more down than flat. What else are you hearing in that space and and what should we be aware of? Yeah. So in that general donor space, um, I have talked to a number of people about that because it's, you know, it's, I'm going to go back to this high net worth group just because that's who I normally work with. But we have to know what's happening here in the general donor space because that has an impact on the pipeline of feeding major donors. So, you know, the big question is, and I don't think these principles are really all that different, volume's different, but helping the the general donor connect and make sure that they're on the right journey with the organization. So, you know, how, how were they acquired? How do they want to be communicated with? Those things are, are just as important on the general donor side, because we know retention's a problem. We're losing half or more of our donors every year. And so the same things that are applying at the major donor level are things that we're all struggling with at the, at the general donor level. So, you know, just making sure that that connection in a, you know, cost-effective and appropriate way, but the connections there, you know, you're taking them through the, the journey and the story of the organization and they're seeing the impact of, of their gift is just as important. And, you know, I think that's where we have a lot of work to do because it's much more complicated on the general donor side, on the, the major donor side, we have major gift officers. We hopefully we have a cultivation plan. We have our caseload management moves moves management plan, and we're we're executing on that. We can get in front of those donors one to one. We're as we're developing relationships on the general donor side with the way the channels are today. Gosh, you, there's so many ways that a donor can come, you know, into a relationship with your organization that. It's, a, it's challenging to figure that all out. And that's where I think the, the industry as a whole is just really, a lot of organizations are struggling to keep up with. Is it, you know, how are we doing on the social media side? Is it, um, you know, are people coming through the website? Are they, you know, are they responding to mail and making sure it's all coded and sort, you know, we, we're, 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 we've got to look at all of those channels. And so, you know, I think that's the, that's difficult. And then we have the rise of, you know, the peer-to-peer fundraising, the crowd, the crowd fundraising that's going on. And, you know, again, that goes back to like the problem we have with the donor advised funds. Sometimes we don't know who these donors are that are giving to us. Most of the tools tools that are out there do not even give the name of the donors to the charity. They just get the check. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a particular problem that 
for me, then I look and say, okay, well, the, the nonprofit has to figure out, can, can we pull these tools into what we're doing so that we have more control over them and that it's, you know, it's great to get that check from Facebook or from GoFundMe, but it doesn't really advance your relationship in any way. So it's relationship across the board. General members. It, it really board. is. You know, I've got a, a client, they're in the health space and they do 50 peer to peer events a year across the country. And they've spent a ton of time and effort and a lot of money trying to figure out how do we find those donors and make sure we know who exactly they are. And then if we have that information, how do we manage those relationships? And really what they discovered is it's not the person who's, you know, five donations removed. It's the one person that organized the team that year. Right. And so what they've, they've really doubled down on this and they've seen some great success by saying, we're not going to build relationships with these hundreds to thousands of people. It's not about the volume at that level. It's about making sure that I'm going to call them team captains because I don't know the exact term they use, but it's about making sure that that team captain is treated like a major donor because we know if we do that well, then they'll bring the team back next year. They'll continue that cultivation cycle and, and really build it from there. And when they flip the switch on their thinking from building a mass audience to really cultivating deep relationships with those team captains, they've, they've seen so much better success. So I, you know, I, I think for organizations that are in that peer to peer space, they really ought to have to decide, are we about building a massive file because we want lots of numbers or do we want the value of building deep relationships with people who can deliver for us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's going to, those relationships are going to pay off in the end. So you may sacrifice short term, but building that relationship with that team captain or the, you know, the person who's spearheading that for you is critical. Lisa, we're running out of time, but I do want to throw one more of the, probably the tougher questions at you. Talk to me about the tax changes. Um, are you seeing with your clients it having an impact, I, I guess, primarily on middle donors? We're not seeing that again, because we're dealing more in the major donor space. Um, but with some of the, the research that uh, through Giving USA and uh, the Giving Institute, there has been some impact there in donors that may have stacked their contributions for, uh, you know, in 2017 in anticipation of those, um, of those tax changes. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of efforts that are out there to attack the charitable contribution, the deduction again, uh, knowing that, that that isn't, that is important to people. I, I personally don't believe it's a, it's a initial motivator, but it's a nice to have and gets people to think about their, their contributions. So it's definitely in this, in the, in the giving statistics, it has had an impact. And I think we're still kind of waiting to see what the long-term impact of that change is going to be we'll, we'll probably see it in the numbers this year yeah i mean what i'm saying is that many charities are kind of looking at how they do their segmentation analysis you know because especially those folks that give you know under that twelve thousand dollar threshold but more than a thousand you know looking at those folks every two years as opposed to every year you know you got to kind of like you said that the term is stacking or bunching or bundling but uh but when they, you know, when they're making their gifts every other year, and of course you can't make everybody give the same year. If you could do that, it'd be golden. So you got this hybrid. That's a hard way to manage. <laughs> Crazy. 
I don't think it's like I agree entirely that that on the major side, those folks are still still getting their deductions because they're way past that that threshold for the automatic, uh, you know, way past that twelve thousand dollar cap they're giving. Right. So it's it's unfair of me to ask you to to predict this and and look at the crystal ball, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of noise politically going on right now. There are obviously these impeachment hearings uh, happening right now. Uh, I've had a couple conversations with clients who said, I'm really concerned about year-end giving this year if hearings in the House produce an actual impeachment recommendation and if this goes to the Senate for trial. What are your thoughts on how the political climate today uh, may or may not influence giving toward the year-end? Certainly on everybody's mind. Um, It's coming up in... In a, in a lot of the conversations that, that we're having, certainly it's in, it's in the news. Um, you know, the fundraising landscape is definitely impacted by these external factors. And whether that's the stock market, the political landscape, the impeachment hearings, um, you know, when anytime something makes someone nervous, shaky about what their own personal finances look like, we see it first, because this is the first place that somebody's going to, um, you know, make a decision to pull back. And so, yeah, I would say there's a just a lot of trepidation going into this last quarter of the year um, with what we're with what we're going to see. So hopefully the stock market stays strong. <laughs> yeah, we might make it out even I think is probably the best uh, the best case scenario for us this year, but I hope I'm wrong about that. Yeah, the volatility last year was the real killer. It'll just yeah. the stock market will hold. I have high hopes we're going to be in good shape this year. But. And let's pray for no government shutdowns. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Lisa, super grateful for you being here. I, I appreciate your insights and, and what you shared with us. If somebody uh, that's listening wants to get in touch with you to, to talk about what you've shared or to learn more about Westfall, how do they reach you? Sure. Well, um, direct, you can reach me directly. Uh, my email is lisa.wolf at westfallgold.com. Or go to our website. There's a, a link there to uh, westfallgold.com. Thanks so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.